You're listening to the Darius Daniels Podcast. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Darius Daniels Podcast. I'm Darius Daniels, and I'm excited because today's a special day. And because it's a special day, we've got a special edition of this podcast. You may be wondering what I mean. Well, today is special to me, at least, because today, at least if you're listening to this on July the 7th, is my birthday. (laughs) That's right, ladies and gentlemen, today is my birthday. If you're listening to this on July the 7th, if you're listening to this after July the 7th, act like it's my birthday. It's still my birthday. It's my birthday until it's my birthday next time. At any rate, as a result of this special day, I wanted to present a special edition of this podcast. And I wanted, being a man of the people, to spend the entire episode answering your questions. That's right. I am the special guest today. You are the ones interviewing me. Uh, Hey, I sent this out, I think. I just did it on one of the social media platforms. We didn't want to be overwhelmed. And I sent this out on Facebook. I say, hey, I'm going to do a special edition on my birthday. And you just send me all of the questions you can. I'll get to as many of them as I can. And that is today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. We are about to go nonstop question and answer. We're talking about everything. We got some great questions. (laughs) I'm going to answer them the best that I can. I'm excited about today's episode of the Darius Daniels Podcast. Well, everybody, I'm excited to get right into today's episode. As I said, it's a special day. And it's a special episode as I attempt to answer just a ton of questions that have come in throughout this week. Let's get right to it. The first question comes in from my man, Andrew. And Andrew asks this question. He says, Darius, I was wanting to know your thoughts on Cam Newton going to the New England Patriots. My man, Andrew, listen, I want to be clear unequivocally. I think it's great. First of all, I'm glad he's getting an opportunity to showcase his talent. You know, I always feel, um, I think, a unique degree of empathy for individuals, athletes specifically, because we're talking about Cam Newton. But I have a unique degree of empathy for athletes whose career is cut short or hampered by injury. And so I think when you look at Cam Newton's career at Carolina, it was stellar. Um, I mean, if we're talking specifically about things on the field, I think it's indisputable. He's probably the best quarterback in the history of that franchise. He's he broke most of the records there. And uh, I still think I think at right now at this point, Cam is what, 31 years old. So at 31 years old, he's got a lot of years left, man. And um, I know he's not a typical pocket passer like a Brady or a Drew Brees. So he may not have 10, 11 years, but I think he's got some significant years left. And I feel like I, even though I'm a 49ers fan, let's be clear, (laughs) but I do feel like um, with him being an SEC guy playing for Auburn Tigers, uh, I want to see him succeed. And this is the bottom line. Whatever you think about the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, listen, they're winners. 
Now, I don't know who's going to throw to. Brady didn't have a lot to throw to. I know Julian Elliman is back there, but and some others. No shade to any of the the others. I'm just not a, a New England fan, so I don't know a lot of the the players there. But listen, I think it's great for Cam. I think it's going to give him an opportunity to show what he's got, and um, hopefully he can parlay it into another opportunity where he gets compensated in a way that I think is, re- is reflective of the, of the way he should be compensated. I mean. He's undercompensated, but I'm glad he's got an opportunity. He's got an opportunity to go in to start. He's got an opportunity to go in and, and win. He's in a good organization um, with, like him or not, with a good coach. He's a winner. And that's Bill Belichick, man. So I'm really excited for Cam, Andrew. So I hope that answers your question. They will not beat the 49ers, though. I just want to go on record. For that, they will not, saying that, they will not beat the 49ers. Yeah. So, <laughs> Anyway, I hope that answers your question. Hey, we got another one that's come in. This is an interesting right here, everybody. Interesting question here. All the questions are interesting, but this is one I think is uniquely interesting here. Comes in from Terry. And this is what Terry asks. Terry asks, who did our African ancestors pray to before Jesus? What an incredible question. So this is one of the first things that I want to make sure we're all clear on and that we're all on the same page about. And that's this, this myth, right? That Christianity did not get to Africa until Americans brought it. Now, we can't deny that there were missionary efforts from America to Africa. There were missionary efforts from America to a number of different parts of the world. But the myth that, the assertion that Christianity did not get to Africa until American missionaries brought it, it's just so patently untrue. It's like irresponsibly untrue. There's nothing about it that's true. It's not even close to being true. You see, when you look at some of the early church fathers, right? So we're talking about post book of Acts. So we're talking about before America was even founded, you know, around 300 AD, 400 AD. Many of the minds that shaped Christian thought and Christian theology were North African men. I want you to think about that. The word Trinity was coined by a gentleman named Tertullian. Look him up. So the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it's a word that's used to describe the Godhead. But the man that coined that term, Tertullian, was African, North Africa. In addition to that, St. Augustine, some people call him Augustine of Hippo, North African. There was a, a early church father named Anthanasius. They called him the Black Dwarf. North African. Origin. Another church father. African. So, <laughs> the, the, the idea that Christianity did not exist in Africa until Western missionaries brought it there, it's just not true. Even when you look in scripture, right? And you look in the book of Acts, there was an encounter that a man named Philip had with an Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says he's coming back from one of the festivals. He's reading scriptures that prophesies about Jesus, reading one of the scriptures in Isaiah that prophesies about Jesus. He can't wrap his head around it. Philip explains it to him. The man receives Jesus as Messiah. Philip baptizes this man. And uh, some historians suggest that obviously, right, this man takes his faith back to Ethiopia. So, um, so I want to answer the question, Terry, but just kind of by making sure I really lean in in that area and just make sure that we're all on the same page that, yo, listen, God has taken all people and made a people. And Africans have been included in this story since the beginning. 
even even prior to the coming of the Messiah, Sheba in First Kings chapter ten visits Solomon, and some historians talk about the the impact that Solomon had on her and the impact that Yahweh had on her during her time and tenure with Solomon. So the the point that I'm making is um, that Jesus has been a part of the story of African people for a very long time. And Jesus was not just introduced to the African people because of Western missionaries. So I feel like that's something that's, that's really important. I feel like that's used too by some people, you know, some people, you know, say things like, oh, Christian is the white person's religion, white man's religion. And, you know, just because it was used in some oppressive ways does not mean that that's its origin and you shouldn't abandon everything that's misused. So, you know, I know sometimes if you're African-American and you're trying to reach someone uh, with the gospel, uh, that that may be a comeback, right? That this is a white man's religion. It was used to oppress you and it was used to propagate slavery and things of that particular nature just because it was used that way doesn't mean that's its origin and um it's not a white man's religion it's not a black man's religion it's it's a religion that does not ignore ethnicity but it transcends ethnicity it is not indigenous to any people it is for all people and we all have had a hand in its story you know i'm actually going to do a a webinar and a workshop on on this because i want to equip people who are attempting to reach people and they're running into some of these these roadblocks because, you know, sometimes some well-meaning people are just they're misinformed. It's just not, it's not true. It's not, the religion is not indigenous to any people. So we've been praying to and rocking with Jesus for a very long time, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So hope that helps. Got another question here. I'm having a blast already. <laughs> okay. Uh, Benson asks this question, who do you want to see in the next versus battle? Well, the last one I'm aware of, it was, um, Jada kiss and fabulous. And to be honest with you, I want to be, keep it 100, keep it a buck. I have not listened to that versus battle. Everybody told me though, that, that, that it was dope, but everybody I'm talking to says that, that Jada kiss kind of won that one. So I don't know. I hadn't listened to it to, to, um, to get my opinion, but I don't know if someone asked me this question before. I think depending on when you ask me, I may get a different answer, but if we're talking exclusively hip hop, then I can name you a few people that I'd like to see participate. Uh, but I don't want to, I'm not sure who I would want to have versus battles. I think if any of these people participated, it would be, it, it would be interesting to me. So Snoop, I'd be interested to see him participate. Diddy, I'd be interested to see him participate. Definitely Dr. Dre. I'd like to see him participate. Eminem. I would love to see him participate. I'm about to go old school on some of you outcasts. I'd love to see them participate. Um, so man, any of those groups or, or individuals, if they're in it, I'm on it. I'm excited about it. I'd love to be a part of it. I, I think it'll be incredible. I really do. So, yeah, that's that's that, Benson. That's that. Okay. So this uh, next question comes in from, this is a loaded one, everybody. This one comes in from David. And so David says, what's the difference between the terms calling, purpose, and assignment? These terms are often used interchangeably, and I'm wondering your thoughts on each of them. It's a great, great 
question, man. You know, I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to answer this question. This is just kind of my perspective on this because I think it is okay to use some of these terms interchangeably. I really do. Um, my perspective though on these terms is probably going to be a little bit different than what people are accustomed to hearing. And it's because I define them differently, not because I think the terms can't be used interchangeably, but I use them differently because I'm trying to clarify this area of calling and purpose that I find is probably one of the things at least people that I serve are the most confused on. So I just use different terms to in, to refer to different aspects of calling and purpose so that hopefully people can wrap their head around it and be clear on it. I just think it's, I think it's a bit over, I think we, I don't think it's overcomplicated, but I do think we overcomplicate it at times. So anyway, um, here is the way I would frame it, David. All right. So one purpose is this purpose is the reason for the creation or the existence of a thing. The reason for the creation or the existence of a thing. So uh, purpose is not existence, but it is the reason for that existence. Now, I'm saying reason, but it's really reasons, right? Because no one exists on earth for any singular reason. So I'm a teacher and I'm a preacher, I'm a spiritual leader, or whatever, but I was born for more than that. So when I discuss or define or describe this idea of purpose, I think we should do so discussing, defining, describing life and not just work. So, purpose, it's the reason, but when I say reason, I mean reasons for the creation or the existence of a thing. Now, calling, what is that? Calling is God's invitation for your participation in the reason for your creation. So, you and I have been created intentionally by God, right? We don't come from our parents, we come through our parents. That's what we believe, if you're Christian at least. Jeremiah 1, before I formed you in their mother's womb, I knew you, I ordained you, I sanctified you as a prophet. So your parents made you, but God formed you. Gifts, talents, interests, passion, wiring, personality traits, God ordained, providence of God at work in all of those areas. All right. Now, with that being the case, God has to invite you to use your life for the reasons that you've been created. So you got all these gifts, all these talents, all these personality traits. And then at some point in your life, God extends an invitation to you to use that for his purposes and his plan and not just yours. <laughs> and so that's what calling is, right? It's God saying, hey, um, I know you had planned to do this with your life, but in this season, I want to pull the curtains uh, back and I want to show you what I would like for you to do with your life in this season. And I'm extending this invitation to you and I give you the opportunity to accept or deny it. And so we see like this idea of calling all throughout scripture. I actually did a, we just finished writing a, uh, a course. It's a prequel course. I think I might make it available as an e-course for people who are part of change college, which is the, um, well, it's got a few schools, but one of them is a lay ministry training track. And so we did this thing called discerning your calling. And one of the things that we kind of walk people through is like unpacking and demystifying this whole idea of calling. And the point that I'm making is, is this, is that you've got purpose, which is the reason for the or creation for the creation or existence of a thing. You got calling, which is God's invitation for your participation in the reason for your creation. And then you got roles 
which someone may call assignments. David, you got calling, purpose, and assignment. Roles slash assignments, which are the different ways God has you carry out your calling in different seasons. And if you carry out your calling in the ways God's inviting you to carry them out, in the seasons of life that you're in, then what you ultimately accomplish is your purpose. So I'm going to say that again. If you accept God's calling to the various roles he wants you to play in the different seasons of your life, then you ultimately accomplish your purpose. So I'm going to use my life for an example. And then I'll move on to another one. But I'm spending a little time on this one because people are really, really confused on this. And I just don't believe how you're supposed to live your life is something you want to get wrong. (laughs) So there's some doctrinal stuff we might get wrong or whatever. But I don't know if you want to get the purpose thing wrong, fam. I don't. So I just, you know, I'm leaning in on this because I want to make sure we are clear on it. So let's let's use my life for an example. Okay. So let's say mm, my first year in seminary, so I had to be, what, 21, 22 years old. Uh, I served at a church and I served, I was doing youth ministry there. That was a role that I was called to in that season. And I did that. So I played a number of different roles at that particular church. A number of different opportunities presented themselves. I played a number of different roles. Now, now I'm a senior pastor. I, we planted churches, blah, blah, blah. The point that I'm making is, that sounded bad when I was talking about that blah, blah, blah. I was like, it's just church. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, ladies and gentlemen. I can't believe, I can't believe he's blah, blah, blah about the church. No, I didn't mean it like that. The point that, I, the point that I'm making is, so there are things that I'm doing now and I may have a little more influence and I may be known a little more than I was, I don't know, when I started seminary. It doesn't mean I was not in purpose when I was in seminary and I'm in purpose now. I was in purpose then. When no one knew my name, I was in purpose. When I was teaching those, I don't know, eight to 10 kids during Bible study when I was doing youth ministry at a church in the inner city of Trenton, New Jersey. I was in purpose then. Why? Because that was a role God called me to in a season of my life. I said yes to that role. And then when it's time to, you know, plant a church, I said yes to that. And when it's time to plant other churches, I said yes to that. And when it was time to, to travel and speak, I said yes to that. And writing books, I said yes to that. So I didn't know everything that I was supposed to do with my life in one season. It, it unveiled itself as I walked with God. God exposed and he unveiled my next steps. So the way you accomplish purpose is one season at a time. And I think sometimes we get filled with so much anxiety when it comes to this. And we feel like there are things that we should know. And, uh, you know, there are people in their 20s who feel like I'm supposed to know what I'm supposed to do in my entire life. When the Bible says to everything, there's a season. What are you supposed to do? Steward the season you're in with the information that you have. That's it. Because the thing you're doing now may not be the thing that you're doing next. But the thing you're doing now will lead to the thing that's next. I hope I'm making sense. So when I got married, that became a part of my purpose. So there, there are things that the scriptures lay out for me as a husband. That's a part of my purpose. And then when I had children, that became a part of my purpose. And so I think one of the things that happens too, I think so many times it's possible to run after the thing that God hasn't shown us, that we do not faithfully steward the thing he has shown us. Does that make sense? So it's like there are people who may be husbands or wives or parents and they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. What am I supposed to do with you know, my work or my business or my company? And God's like, you, you got a kid in the house. 
If you're faithful over the thing I have revealed, then I'll start showing you the things that I haven't revealed. So I just think there's like inequity when it comes to effort we put into some of this stuff and then how, you know, how we treat it and whether or not we give it the level and degree of importance that it should. But the point is, this is a long answer. (laughs) Your purpose in life never changes, but the way in which you live out that purpose is going to be different based on the season of life that you are in. So God calls you to roles in different seasons. And so you got to keep giving God yeses. And if you keep giving God a yes in the season that you're in, faithfully carrying out the roles that God's called you to carry out, then you know what's going to happen. Then ultimately, over the course of your life, you're going to accomplish your purpose. So I hope this, I don't want to be trite or condescending, but I do want to, I don't want anxiety to, 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 to clog your spiritual antennas where you can't see clearly and hear clearly. Relax, people. Do what you can in the season you're in. What you're doing now may not be doing what you're going to be doing next, but the now will lead to the next. Come on. So I hope that helps. It's a great question. So I've got another one here and um, it's somewhat in the same family. This one comes from Vinny and Vinny X. This may seem odd, she says, but I struggle with finding my purpose and I don't know what to do, but that doesn't mean um, it's my purpose or I know what I'm sorry. I know what I want to do. But that doesn't mean it's my purpose. As a matter of fact, (laughs) I know it isn't. So how do I know what that is? (laughs) All right. So this this is really a dope question. Um, uh, You know, I'm laughing because I can relate. That's the reason I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at the question. (laughs) I'm laughing because I can relate, right, to that tension. And so here it is. And I, I think... I think at the heart of this question is this, man. What do I do with my... So this is what Stephen Stephen Covey says. Talent is what you can do. Passion is what you like to do. Purpose is what you're supposed to do. Now, this is the point that he's making here. The point that he's making here is that everything we want to do and everything that we got the ability to do isn't everything that we're supposed to do. But he's not saying that we shouldn't do some of the things that we want to do or have the ability to do. So... This is the way I'm going to answer your question, Vinny, because I think it's important. Because I think at the heart of your question here is like passion projects. So in other words, man, it's something that I'm passionate about. I don't quite think this is the thing God wants me to invest the majority of my time, talent, and treasure into. But it is something that is very valuable to me. I mean, it matters to me. And it's something that I'm passionate about. So this is the way I would frame it, okay? You've got what I call primary and secondary. Primary callers and secondary callers. So I'm going to use my, my life as, as an example again. I'm not the example, but, you know, I can use me and nobody's going to get offended, I guess. I don't know. Somebody might get offended because they're talking about himself all the time. But then if I use other people, they're like, why are you talking about me? So, it's, so I'm just going to use me, right? Because I know I'm not going to get mad at me for using me. <laughs> so uh, there may be a number of different things that I do. And I think they're all like really important. So I'm going to use something like writing. So writing is something I feel called to. So I'm going to get to the passion stuff in a minute, but writing is something that I feel called to do. I do. I feel called to do it. I take it very seriously. But I'm also a pastor and I lead Change Church. Change Church is my primary calling, meaning in order of priority, Change Church comes first. I'm clear. That's primary. Writing is very important, but it's secondary. It doesn't mean I don't do them both. It means If it came to a point where something had to fall on the sword, writing would fall on the sword. 
I don't think it's going to come to that. But the point that I'm making is I'm clear on what's primary and what's secondary. Now, so you got primary, then you got secondary, then you got passion projects. So this is the way I look at it. Do your got to do's. And if once you do your got to do's, if you got time, do your want to do's. As long as your want to do's aren't immoral, as long as they're not distracting you from your have to do's, which are the things, you know, your primary and secondary callings, then I say go for it. Like, well, like, what does it hurt? What does it hurt? You know, s- some of y'all about to laugh at this. I'm going to take up cooking one day. Like, I want to learn how to cook. My wife's an amazing cook. As a matter of fact, I got some homemade gluten-free. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, whenever I say I cook something, I really didn't cook it unless you saw me cook it. I'm taking credit for something that my wife did. (laughs) But anyway, I'm sitting here thinking about these gluten-free homemade peanut butter cookies. My God. That she made for me that I'm going to get in a few minutes. But anyway, this is the point, ladies and gentlemen. It's okay to do passion projects as long as it's not immoral and unethical. It's self-destructive or distracting you from your got to do's. It's okay to do your want to do's. So Vinny, as long as you're doing the thing that you're clear on, it's that you feel like, okay, I got to do. It's okay to do some of the other stuff that you want to do. God gives us richly all things to enjoy, which means that there, that there are some things that you have a heart to do that you will do that may not carry out your purpose, but they will give you pleasure. And God's okay with that. It's not driving you. You're not hedonistic. You're purpose driven, not pleasure driven. I think it is absolutely unequivocally okay to pursue passion projects. Do your got to do's and then do your want to do's. All right. Keep that in mind. Come on, somebody. I feel like we're preaching today. All right, let's talk about something else. Hey. (laughs) Oh, I'm laughing at this next question. Tanisha says, what's up with those ice cream sandwiches, though? I'm not answering. I think I answered that one time. It's a lot of lactose intolerant people in the world, huh? And um, somebody needs to contact that company. Tanisha, I'm going to do this one more time. I can't believe I'm throwing out. This is free game, y'all. Somebody needs to contact this company and let them know Darius Daniels is, is shouting them out. I said, I just said I wasn't going to answer that, but I can't deprive the people of this blessing. But I'm tired of promoting this, this, this company stuff for free. They need to hook your boy up. Uh, the brand I use, though, is, is so delicious. So delicious. Listen to me. If you look. Why am I talking about this? Why am I talking about ice cream sandwiches? But they so good. All right. Anyway, (laughs) that's for you, Tanisha. God bless you. (laughs) God bless you. All right. Uh, Here's a question from Alicia. Alicia says, I always hear mixed answers about this topic. But why why do you believe Christians denounce Greek life? Just Greek life. um, And she mentions the divine nine, which is a a reference to nine African-American fraternities and sororities. Do they conflict with Christian beliefs? And what are your thoughts about it? I get this question every now and then because people know that my wife and I pledged, uh, well, I pledged a fraternity, she pledged a sorority. And um, I don't think that inhibits my ability to speak to speak objectively about this. I think it actually equips me to speak kind of a, in an uh, informed way. So Alicia, there are going to be mixed answers about, this topic. And when it comes to the appropriateness of it, 
for Christians, I would say it's a matter of conscience, right? Um, and when I say that, I'm utilizing the Apostle Paul's kind of line of thinking in the book of Corinthians when he says, if eating meat offends your brother, don't eat meat, eat meat right? All things are lawful, all things are not profitable. So I think this is a matter of conscience, it's a matter of profitability, meaning not financially, but is this profitable for you? It's a matter of whether or not a person is in a space in their life where they can be a part of an organization like this and uh, not compromise their own values. Um, but the reason some Christians denounce it is going to be multifaceted. Some denounce it because they're uninformed about it. Others denounce it because they are informed about it in the sense that they had, maybe they had an experience directly or indirectly with it. And there were things in their experience that conflicted their Christian values. And I don't know, felt like maybe they felt like that they had to pledge allegiance to a fraternity or sorority in a way that, you know, conflicts with scripture. I can't speak to what people's individual experience was. I can only speak to mine and to my wife's. And so I was 19 years old when I pledged, by the way. Actually, when I did that, it, 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 was, it in no way conflicted with my Christian values. I, <laughs> I wasn't required to pledge any type of allegiance to any other God or to any or to a fraternity, to my fraternity in a way that conflicted with my Christian values. Um, the kind of bond that we had, uh, fraternal is just a word, really. And um, the kind of bond that we had, I think is really no different than bonds people form with bands. You know, if you are part of a college band or bonds that people form on sports teams. So um, I think it's a matter of conscience with people. And I think it's a matter of people's people's going to have a different opinion on this based on their experiences. So that wasn't my experience. So I didn't have any demonic experience. <laughs> I didn't have to pledge allegiance to the spirit of Alpha or anything like that. And uh, you had some great spiritual leaders actually that were, this is, this is, this is a plug. I know it, but th th we had some great spiritual leaders who were part of my fraternity, by the way, Alpha Phi Fraternity Incorporated, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. Paul Robeson. Yes. So, so man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Thurgood Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm not going to talk about anybody else. Jackie Robinson. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about anybody else. Miles Monroe. <laughs> all right. All right. Anyway. Uh, hey, to, to, to each his own, though, when it comes to that issue of fraternity and sororities, I do think it's a, it's a matter of a matter of conscience. So if it works for you, fine. If it if it does not, if it violates conscience, then I, I don't think um, you should do it. OK, Sid. Sid asks this question, how do I learn the how do I learn about the Bible in a more academic way if you don't have the funds to get a degree in it, but some guided in-depth teaching? I think that's great. Uh, I think the heart of this question speaks to uh, a larger issue, and that is kind of in many church settings at least, we get taught from the Bible, but not a lot about the Bible. And I do think learning a little bit about the Bible is really, really helpful uh, when it comes to one, reaching people. And, and two, accurately interpreting it and interpreting it and applying it to your own life. So let me let me tell you why I think this is important. And uh, Sid didn't ask me this, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. It's my birthday, so one of the, <laughs> so one of the reasons that I think that I think this is important. You take something like the Old Testament law, 
right? And this is something that people really get confused about because there's like a lot of stuff in the Bible. So we, I run into this a lot as a spiritual leader when it comes to, let's say if there is something laid out in scripture that conflicts with the way a person is living their life and they don't want to change it. What they often do is point to some other areas of the Bible where people are re- are instructed to do things that we don't do. And they kind of try to use that as validation to say, hey, we don't do everything that's that's in the Bible. So s- sometimes they try to use that to discredit the Bible. And um, I think that makes people feel better about their unwillingness to change. Um, when I don't recommend that, I mean, if it's just something that you don't want to change, just say you don't want to change it. Don't change the Bible, though. Just say, uh, you just say I'm going to gamble with God's grace on this. But don't, <laughs> don't have to undermine the Bible because it's something that in my life that I don't want to change. I just think it's just really dangerous to cherry pick like that. Also, I feel like that's a bit dangerous because we get into like a, a, a bit of idolatry of reason. And by that, I mean, we make an idol of our own reasoning. Like, I want to do this. I feel like I should be able to do this. And it doesn't make sense to me why I can't do this. So, you know, the Bible must be wrong. As opposed to just saying like, yo, I really want to do this. and the Bible says I shouldn't. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying I think that's safer than it's just safer spiritually, I think, than trying to discredit the Bible because it talks about something I want to change. But people often like bring up all the stuff in the Old Testament about uh, you shouldn't eat fish with scales or you shouldn't wear fabric that's blended together or if somebody steals, you should cut off their hand, etc. So oftentimes when people like a reading from the Bible, but they don't, they know stuff in the Bible, but they don't know about the Bible. What ends up happening is they miss things like in the law, in the Old Testament, right? When you get into like Leviticus and well, some in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So when you get into the law, there are moral laws, there were ritualistic laws, there were dietary laws, and there were civic or civil laws, all in scripture. Right. So the dietary laws were not there exclusively for morality. Like they were symbolic in a sense, but you, you, you weren't like more moral if you didn't eat pork. Symbolically, yes, in terms of it being an unclean animal, but like practically it didn't make you more moral. You got to think about this. You got millions of people that have been in slavery. They're in the middle of a desert wandering in the wilderness with no doctors. So this was God's way of keeping people whole and healthy. Civil laws and some of the extremism that you saw there. Look, think about this. You got a million, millions of people, like no kind of law enforcement whatsoever. So the civil laws that were put in place were really extreme in an attempt to curb dysfunctional and destructive behavior. So it's like, yo, if you steal something, we're going to cut your hand off. That I mean... <laughs> that sounds a bit extreme, but if you got millions of people with no law enforcement, no internal change yet in their heart at all, then some of these extreme measures were put in place, not because God wanted that to happen. He didn't want it to happen. He wanted to curb behavior. So he used the extremism of some of those civil laws to try to keep society functional. So things like 
tattoos, not tattoos. Uh, Lord, I'm not getting into that. I'm not touching that. I'm glad anybody didn't ask. I, I would answer if they did ask though. But like even things like flesh markings and piercings and things of that nature, you know, they weren't just done aesthetically during those days. Uh, some of them had religious meaning and symbolism. It associated you with certain people groups that God wanted people to be distinct from. So there's very practical reasoning. This is what transcends the law is that which preceded it. And that was God's moral law. So God's moral laws existed before the law of Moses. How do we know? We know we know that because when Cain killed Abel, killing was wrong. So killing was wrong in God's eyes before God said, thou shalt not kill, right? So it was before the law. It was during the law. So it outlives the law. So this is why the Ten Commandments, which are moral laws, they were the first out of 613. This is why the, you know, the Ten Commandments are still commandments that are applicable today. Now, the consequences are, are different because God's grace is, we're the dispensation of grace and where sin abounds, grace did that much more abound. I mean, if someone steals, they don't necessarily get their hand cut off. It's still wrong. It's still damaging. So that's why I think, you know, learning about the Bible is important. And so, Sid, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I really don't think you need classes. Just, I, just think you, I just think you need books. I really do. I mean, and so now, especially with, you know, platforms like Amazon and you got iBooks and Barnes and Nobles and whatever, what other um, platforms are out there. I mean, there are books, out, great books out there that, that can help. I think Gordon Fee uh, wrote one called um, like how to, how to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Um, so that's one. And Gordon Fee is some someone that uh, seminaries use. So like you don't have to go to Bible college or seminary to get access to some of the material. You can actually go to a, this is what I would advise you to do, Sid. I would advise you to go to the site of a Bible college you feel like lines up with what you believe. Go to some of their classes, click on a sample syllabus, see some of the reading list, find books that interest you and just order the books. Because it's really two things. E- even when people come to me and say, hey, I want to go to seminary, I want to go to Bible college, my question, my, my, my question is why? Not in a condescending way, but you know, this is what I mean. Do you want an education or do you want a degree or do you want both? Sometimes people don't care about the degree. They just want the education. I was like, hey, if you just want the education, don't spend the money. Don't write the papers. <laughs> just look at the syllabus, get the material and read it. All right. So hope that helps. Oh, man. Listen, we're getting ready. We're almost out of time. It's my birthday. I hope y'all are, y'all are enjoying this as, as, much, as much as I can, uh, as much as I am, rather. Sierra asked this, what should the church be doing during this season with overt, overt racism, COVID, police brutality? How can we grow an influence and be a voice during this time? That's a lot. And it is, it's a lot going on right now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So one, I think, I think there are many churches that are, there are many churches that are doing the work and I'm sure there are tons of churches that are doing the work that we just, you know, we don't know about. And uh, so there are a few things that I think are really, really important during this time. One, when it comes to COVID, I think we need to be, um, COVID is real. I like, I know it's real. <laughs> I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. So uh, COVID is real and it's, it can be debilitating. It's dangerous. Uh, COVID is not a hoax, ladies and gentlemen. Trust me and take it from me. It's not a hoax. It's real. It's rough. The point that I'm making though is this. One of the things that I think is really, really important is that we need to be I think advocates when it comes to the area of encouraging people to love their neighbor well. All right. 
We need we need to be people that are advocating to love our neighbor well. And what does that mean? It means that I don't want to get into the, get too deep into the weeds here, but there's this, there's like a pervasive in America. There's this pervasive individualism, which is you know it's, it's not all bad, but when you're a Christian, you're called to think about more than you. You're called to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when it comes to some of the guidelines that the CDC has kind of laid out, I think whether or not you care about COVID yourself is one thing, um, but your neighbor does. People who live with you do, people you shop with do, people you work with do. And so even if you want to live a certain way because it doesn't matter to you if you get it, because it is so highly contagious, I mean, it does matter if you give it to others. So I think part of loving your neighbor well is doing what the CDC is saying we should do to, to, to prevent it, practicing hygiene. Um, if you've gotten symptoms, making sure you, or if you've been exposed to someone that has it, making sure that you're isolating and self-quarantining so that you aren't spreading it, wearing a mask. It's weird. I don't understand how things that are social become so political. This is really, really interesting to me in the church, right? Like in the church community. I find this really, really interesting. Politics is so intertwined with American Christianity. Or I'll put it this way. American Christianity has so intertwined itself with politics that you can't even have a discussion about a social issue without people politicizing it. Literally. I think I may have said something one time on on Instagram about police brutality or something along those lines. And someone reached out. So someone coming in like, so you one of those ones that want to defund the police? I'm like, how did you politicize that? Like, I'm talking about, pe- I'm, talking, <laughs> I'm, not ta- I'm talking about people being unjustly brutalized, right? And one, it's it, uh, so, see, when Christianity gets politicized, there's no nuance. You either, like, you got to pick one side. So you got to be for one thing and against another. And that's just so unchristian. It's not the way Jesus worked. Like, Jesus was not anti-religion. Right. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus didn't go into every temple and turn over tables, did he? He went in temples that were exploiting people and he turned over those tables. So he wasn't you can be he was anti bad religion, but but pro religion. So when we say something like, yo, there's there's a police brutality problem. Look, you hate the police. No, that's a mentality that's been hijacked by politics of left and right. That's framing the way you think and you're not thinking Christian because Christianity is not this or that is this and that. You can be like, yes, I'm for police. I'm, I could be for police and against police brutality. <laughs> right. Just like I'm for doctors. I'm for priests. I'm just not for priests that molest kids. I'm for pastors. I'm just not for pastors that abuse their flock. I am a pastor. Why would I hate pastors? <laughs> so anyway, man, I just, I think. It's it's so that if a person's like yo, you should love your neighbor. If you're talking about racism, it's it's like certain issues have been categorized as left or right when they're just like human issues. And so I just refuse to be boxed in like that. You know, um, everything on the right ain't right. So let's be clear on that. Everything on the right ain't right, and everything on the left is not virtuous. So I think that's really really important uh, for us to to wrap our head around. So people are like, which side do you lean? I, I, I'm with the lamb. I'm with Jesus. And that's not like some evasive statement. 
I'm not being evasive. I don't, I'm too old right now to be, today my birthday. I'm too old to be evasive. I'm not evasive. Yeah, I'm with Jesus. It depends on the issue. So the point that I'm making is, one, with COVID, we should be really, really, I think, loving our neighbor well. When it comes to these issues of police brutality and things of that particular nature, we should, this is also about loving our neighbor well also. And I think for people that are not African-American, that are Christian, like it's it's really important to, to I think I've talked about this in a number of different messages. I did one, uh, it, Hillsong East Coast played it, Transformation in Tulsa played it, and VU in Miami played it. So I did an entire message on like what I feel like the church's response should be when it comes to this area of racism whether it's overt or covert or, you know, systemic and things of that particular nature. So it all comes down to loving our neighbor well, though. And um, somehow we got to figure out a way to untangle our Christianity from American politics. That is the weirdest thing to me. It's like you literally can, <laughs> you can have a viewpoint on something that's biblical and then people automatically put you in the right or left category. But man, this is a human issue. This is like, this, this is a biblical issue. Like racism is wrong. It don't make you leftist. And if that makes you left, then whatever. Race, like, yeah, racism's wrong. Morality in culture still matters too, right? So you're talking about morality. So you're on the right. Are you talking about racism and you're on the left? It's like, I'm in the Bible. <laughs> I'm, I'm with Jesus. And so wherever that lands, uh, that's, uh, that's where it lands. All right. Okay, so I'm going to take one more, everybody. This has been really interesting and entertaining for me. Um, And I hope it's been the same for you. Okay, so it is, man. There are some good ones here. So Gregory asks, can I share my strategy for sermon preparation? Ah, bro, it would take so long for me to do that. And and I don't know. I I think that will bore a lot of people, actually. Um, I do pray. It's part of it, but I'd say it's a lot more than that. So I'm going to answer this one with Elijah and we'll wrap up here. What's the best advice you received when you first started out in ministry? So Elijah, I can't remember like one specific term. Uh, I can't do that. Or one specific phrase, you know what I mean? Someone to say, hey, be yourself because someone else is taken or, you know, customize your calling. So I, I can't think of anything like that. Um, but I can, I think probably the best advice I got, I'm going to summarize it. And it was my dad. And so I was preparing my first sermon and he looked over it. Obviously my dad's a pastor for those of you that don't know. So I think I preached my first sermon. I was 19 or 20 or something like that. I was really too young. Um, I didn't have all the partying out my system. (laughs) That's a whole nother something. I, I did good for a while, but, but anyway, um, I was preparing my, my first sermon and there were some like statements I had made. They were like points or assertions or something like that. And I remember, I remember my dad looking at it. It was handwritten. So he picked up my tablet. We were in the kitchen in my, in my dad's house in Kilmichael, Mississippi. He said, he said, where'd you get this from? And like the statement I said was true. I mean, I think it was an, an accepted truth. Most people would, would have accepted it as true. But he's like, where'd you get this from? Like, I don't know what you're talking about he's like where do you get it from i was like yo it's true he says but how do i know it's true like what are you talking about he's like support your statements with scripture because if not you'll slide into preaching your opinion and not preaching god's word 
So that shaped my preaching. I mean, I still remember that. That shaped my preaching ministry. So even if I do not quote scripture, when I'm making an assertion, when I'm making a point, I'm asking, is this scriptural? And then as I started pastoring, especially in the Northeast, where it was not a Christianized culture and those that came to faith were people that were really going to have to try to put into practice. No, I'm, I'm not going to frame it that way. There were people who really, I mean, they were, they were new to the faith. And so they believe that you mean what you say. Like, you know, sometimes I was, I, <laughs> I'll be growing up uh, down South in Mississippi, somebody would be preaching and we would have uh, a church I went to, we had mothers who were like, Oh, um, Ladies who were a little bit older in age who were, um, they served the house, but they were really um, seniors that were um, instruments and individuals that just gave wisdom and support and intercession. And um, someone would be preaching, they would say something that was off. Mothers would just say, help him, Jesus. Lord, help him. You know, (laughs) so... So people kind of discern, you know, they knew enough scripture or whatever, they would kind of discern if things are right and wrong. I just think times have changed and biblical literacy levels have decreased and biblical uh, knowledge at least has decreased. Maybe not literacy levels, but knowledge. And in addition to that, the Northeast was just not as Christian. Man, people put stuff into practice that you say. And if it's not true, it's not going to work. And if it doesn't work, it starts undermining the credibility of scripture. And uh, I don't know, that probably, not that my pet peeve matters. That's probably one of my biggest ministry pet peeves, though. It's like, man, you know, if people kind of say things that are just, um, nobody's going to agree with anything anyone says. I don't agree with everything I say. (laughs) I think a mark of growth is being able to look back at yourself in an older season and disagree with you. Yet at the same time, I do think there's a line where we just kind of get reckless and we kind of say things that even if they, even if we're not proof texting scripture, we shouldn't say stuff, stuff that's unscriptural, at least in a religious context. So anyway, that's kind of where I am um, with that. I feel like that's the best advice that I've gotten. And it came from my dad. And I think it's really shaped the way I approach ministry to this day. Everybody, listen, y'all ask a lot of spiritual questions. <laughs> oh, y'all ask a lot of spiritual questions, sports and spirituality. Hey, it's great. I'm glad to be able to serve you. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, this has been a great, this has been a great, great first season. I think we've, we're, we're not at the end yet. We've got another episode or two, but it's been a great first season. I want to thank you for your support and thank you for allowing me to do something different this week. Next week, we're going back to our old format. It's going to be incredible and uh, our our next guest is uh i think you're gonna enjoy it i think it's gonna be really really helpful for you but i need your help uh speaking of help i need your help hey keep sending me these questions and we'll try to get to as many of them as we can and uh, in next week's episode during the ax dr darius segment after my interview we need your help spreading the word when you um review and when you rate when you download it helps us reach as many people as possible having these conversations of transformation. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Darius Daniels Podcast. We'll see you next time. Take care. Relevant Podcast Network.